Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. How many of you guys watched the Super Bowl last Sunday? Just raise up your hand. Most everybody, okay, most everybody. Last Sunday, it was interesting, even here at church in Conway, Arkansas, which is a long way from where the game was played in Vegas, right? There was people wearing team gear even here last Sunday. I saw people wearing 49ers stuff. I saw Donnie De La Cruz, you know, our college minister. He was wearing a very ugly 49ers coat last Sunday, but he was sporting it. He was proud of it. Uh, I saw other people wearing Chiefs stuff, which made me sick, honestly, as a Denver Broncos fan. Um, I I didn't like seeing the Chiefs stuff. Certainly didn't like seeing them win the Super Bowl. Um, But it was just interesting how people wear team gear even whenever they're not even going to the game, right? I might even be one step worse because I decked out head to toe in Denver Broncos gear and they weren't even sniffing the Super Bowl and haven't for years, right? Um, But I was, you know, wearing my t-shirt, my hoodie, my hat. Uh, I didn't put on my Manning jersey. That'd be one step too far, I feel like. That'd be ridiculous, you know? So I wore my Broncos stuff for the game. Uh, My 12-year-old daughter, she supported her team that she was cheering for. She wore her Taylor Swift t-shirt and cheered every time Taylor Swift came on (laughs) the screen. But it's just interesting how we do that, isn't it? As fans, like we'll wear our team's gear and logos and symbols and all of those kind of things. And really the reason you're doing that, uh, whether you realize it or not, is not so much that you love that particular color or that logo, although you may like it. What you're really doing is you're saying, hey, I identify with this team. I identify with this bigger thing that's happening. That's the reason you wear team gear. We're gonna see something similar today. God is gonna establish this really big thing and then he's gonna give us this external uh, type of sign that lets everybody know that we're a part of that team. All right, so in Genesis chapter 17, it's a story of a guy named Abraham. We've been talking about him the past couple of weeks. We looked at Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15. Today we're in Genesis 17, and all of this has to do with a guy named Abraham. Abraham is the, what, what's called the father of our faith. Not just the Christian faith, by the way, but the Jewish faith and also the Muslim faith. And it all kind of, hinges upon the fact that, that what we're going to see today is God makes this really big promise with him. He makes this promise. So I, I want to define a couple of terms for you as we jump into this. And I'll just tell you right off the bat, this is going to be uh, one that you're going to need to lean into and pay attention and um, take some notes and those kind of things. We're going to get kind of heady. And if you check out for a minute and check back in, you're going to be kind of confused, I would think. So um, we're talking about some interesting stuff this morning. You'll hear more on that in just a second. Um, but I wanted to find two terms for you. First uh, is the term covenant. That's a big word in your Bible. There's covenants made all throughout your Bible. And if I could just very simply define that for you, a covenant is a promise, all right? Covenant's a promise. And so in this text in Genesis 15, God is gonna make a big promise to Abraham and Abraham is going to confidently believe in this promise. He's gonna confidently believe that God is gonna keep his promise. And what would you call the belief that God is gonna keep his promise? That's faith, right? So you've got covenant and you've got, you've got faith. If I could just define faith for you, it's this, that I believe that God is who he says he is and he will keep his promises, all right? That's what faith is. And so today, 
We're gonna look at this really big promise that's made. We're gonna look at the faith of Abraham. We're gonna look at this really strange outward symbol that the Lord uh, assigns to this promise. And then we're gonna talk about, if you'll hang with me, we're gonna talk about how it applies to us even here today, all right? So before we jump into his word, I'd like for us just to pray and ask the Lord if he would speak to us this morning. So uh, just go ahead, bow your head, and just very simply pray this prayer. God, would you speak to me today? God, we love you, and we ask that you would do what only you can do in this time, and that's speak to our hearts through your spirit and through your word. God, we wanna hear everything that you have to say. We don't wanna hear anything that I've come to say this morning. And so would you speak loudly? Would you help us to understand what's happening in your word? Maybe help us connect some dots that help us better understand our Bible this morning. But more importantly, God, would you help us to follow whatever it is that you're laying on our heart, however you're calling us to follow you. Help us to say yes this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 17. We're gonna read about 10 verses together. So start with me in verse one, Genesis chapter 17, verse one. It says this, when Abram was 99 years old, that's very old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant, my promise, between me and you and I will greatly, or I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here's my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will now be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, and I will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. Verse nine, God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep every one of your males must be circumcised. And there it is, and that's where we're headed in just a minute. But first, I wanna talk to you about this big promise that God makes, this covenant. This is a big deal that God makes. And if you're taking notes, I wanna give you three things that I think we see that this covenant does here in this passage. So God's promise first, number one, establishes a family. It establishes a family. So this covenant is is repeated by God three times. There's three major declarations of this covenant. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, where God famously says to Abraham, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, God tells Abraham, hey, I need you to leave your family, your home, familiarity, leave your identity, remember that, and, and, and go to a place that I will show you. And then he says in Genesis chapter 12, verse two, I will make you into a great nation, And verse three, the big one says, uh, and and all the people of the earth are gonna be blessed through you. That's a huge promise because Abraham has never been able to have kids. He's very old at this time whenever he gets this promise, but God just said, I'm gonna give you children and not just a few, but a lot. 
And there's one that's coming, that verse says, that all the people of the earth are gonna be blessed through you. We know, we talked about a couple weeks ago, that's pointing us straight to Jesus Christ, the one who would come, lay down his life so that all people on earth would have the chance to be, to be blessed. So then, in Genesis 12, he gives that. Then in chapter 15, you see that God reassures that promise. He re-ups, if you will, because it's been several years since that promise was given, and Abraham still doesn't have any kids. He's starting to get discouraged. And so Genesis chapter 15, verse five, God says, hey, go outside, look up at the stars, count them, count the stars if you're able to. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And then in chapter 17, we see in verse four, God says, here's my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. The father of many nations. God is saying here in chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, he's saying, I'm going to establish a people or a family and I'm gonna start with you. And again, this is a huge promise because Abraham is pushing 100 years old. His wife is over 90. They've never been able to have any kids. And now God is saying, you're going to have all of these children. In fact, God says, not only am I making this promise to you, I'm gonna even change your name as like a, a, a double stamp of this is what I'm promising to you. So he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. But when Abraham hears that, he responds, in a way that I think we can relate to. In verse 17, he falls down and he starts laughing. He starts laughing because none of the details make any sense whatsoever that God is going to actually bring him children. And I think we can relate to that, right? Because oftentimes life is very different from the way that we would draw it up if we had the, the means to draw up our own life, right? Life looks different. God maybe has promised some things and we know that, but then our life just, all we can focus on is the obstacles and the trials and the things that are right in front of our face. But you gotta remember this, that God has made a promise and God sees your present, but he also sees your future. And he's working all things together for your good. That's what Romans chapter eight says. So in these moments where we're walking through things that you may not understand and the obstacles and the trials are all that you can see in front of you, you've just got to have faith. That's what we see here. Have faith in the promises of God. According to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is, is walking through your present with eyes on the future, knowing that God has your future. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, now faith is the assurance or the confidence of things not yet seen, right? That's what faith is. And so in this moment, this promise to Abraham, God says, I'm going to establish a people, a family through you. You've just gotta have faith. So God's promise establishes a family. Number two, God's promise brings purpose. It brings purpose. The only part of this covenant agreement that God tells Abraham, like here's your part to uphold is in verse one. When, when he says to Abraham, Here's what I'm asking you to do. Live in my presence and be blameless. Live in my presence and be blameless. Now you gotta understand that the original language, the Hebrew word for blameless, does not mean sinless, all right? It does not mean sinless. Abraham was a sinful guy just like every single one of us. If you read his story, we talked about it last week, how his faith journey is a lot like a roller coaster. He has good days, he has really bad days. So he's a sinful person just like us. What the word blameless there means is it means whole, or it means just complete and unqualified surrender. 
In other words, what God is saying to him is he's saying, hey, walk with me and trust me. Just walk with me and trust me. And it's through that surrender that God promises to use Abraham in huge ways. He tells him in verse six, I'm gonna make you fruitful, right? Again, in chapter 12, verse three, the big one, all the people of the earth are gonna be blessed through you, ultimately talking about the savior that is to come, who we know to be Jesus Christ. So there's a personal purpose that's happening here where, where God says, place your faith in this promise and your life is gonna take on new purpose and meaning, which is to walk with me and trust me, that's your purpose. But there's also a bigger purpose in there and it's this global type of purpose. It's, it's very missional here in this passage. God keeps talking about the fact that nations are gonna be born out of him, right? And I think it's speaking to the fact that God is saying, hey, through you, I have a desire to reach the nations, that I'm going to shine my glory through you and your descendant to reach the nations. So there's a, there's a global purpose that's happening here. So God's promise establishes a family. It brings purpose. Number three, it creates personal relationship. Personal relationship. And that's really the biggest part of this promise or this covenant. Look at verse seven. It says this, that this is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. You see that? This is a permanent covenant. God says, I'm gonna be your God and not only yours, but everyone who comes after you in your family line. He repeats it in verse eight and says, I will be their God. And so the heart of the Abrahamic covenant, the, the promise made to Abraham is that God is our God forever. There's personal intimacy, there's relationship there. And I just want you to think about that. I know that you've heard that, I know that you know that, that there's a personal type of relationship available to God, but just think about that and dwell on that amazing reality for just a second, that the God of all creation desires to have a personal relationship with you. I think the longer you dwell on that, the more spectacular that phrase and that idea becomes, right? That the Lord of all creation, the King of all kings, desires personal relationship with you. So the summary of the promise that's made to Abraham is he says, hey, Abraham, even though that you're old, even though you've never been able to have children before, I'm gonna give you a huge family. And through you, there's gonna be one who comes that all the people of the earth are gonna be blessed through. And that's going to establish this personal, close relationship between man and God. And there's an important moment that happens in Genesis chapter 15, verse six, that says this, that Abraham believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. So here we see that Abraham believed the promise of God. He had faith. Abraham says, I believe the promise and God says, you're saved, okay? That's essentially what has happened here with this covenant to Abraham. And then in verse nine, verse nine and 10 and, and following, it gets a little odd, right? What we see is the promise, this huge promise of God is sealed with an outward expression. An outward expression. Every covenant that's made throughout your Bible is sealed with this sign, a visible reminder that carries a, a, a reminder of the spiritual promise that's been made. And in verse 10, it says, keep my covenant. Every one of your males must be circumcised. 
and this is where it gets awkward, <laughs> right? This is where it gets a little awkward. This is where I try not to turn into seventh grade David um, back in school. This week has been a little um, awkward, honestly, trying to study this and the text messages from our small group leaders going, hey, what do we do with this? You know, he's talking about circumcision. And I'm like, man, I don't know what she would tell me. <laughs> Because I just, I just imagine that there's people who are coming here today that maybe this is your first time ever at Second, uh, maybe uh, your first time ever in church. Uh, maybe, maybe you've been inviting somebody to come to church for a long time and they're finally here today and we're going to talk about circumcision. Like the last thing that you imagine you'd hear the preacher saying today is standing up here on stage talking about genital surgery. You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of odd have to talk about Jesus and male genitalia in the same sentence, but um, like we're going to talk about it because that's what the Lord said. I wish that he would have said, get an earring or a tattoo or something different, but he, he didn't. So what's going on here? Um, if I could just kind of define circumcision for you, it's this, that it is a cutting away of flesh from a very tender and intimate place. How's that for a definition, right? If you're unsure what circumcision is, um, don't Google it right now. Don't, you know, ask somebody that you trust. But what you need to know about circumcision as we, as we get into this conversation is that it was not a new thing at this time, right? It's not like God came up with this crazy idea. It was something that they were all doing. Lots of cultures were circumcising in this time. It was all the rage. It was the hottest fashion trend or something like that, I guess. I don't know. Uh, in fact, we know that the Palestinians were called barbarians because they didn't circumcise. So it wasn't a new thing that's happening here, but God takes a very common thing and he assigns spiritual meaning to it. So I need you to hear me whenever I say that circumcision doesn't save you. All right? Circumcision doesn't save you. And again, I know if this is your first time here with us, that's a weird sentence for me to say, isn't it? That circumcision doesn't save you. You're probably sitting there going, I didn't even know that that was like on the table of possibilities of things that could save you, you know? And if you're a woman, you're thinking it's not really super helpful to know that surgery on a body part that I don't even have is, is not a requirement to get into heaven, you know? Um, but circumcision doesn't save you. It was being done by lots of cultures at the time. God just assigns new meaning to it. So it's a visible sign that God used. What, did it, what is it a sign of? Two things. It's a sign of faith, all right? It's a sign of faith. It was a sign that you had faith in the promise of God. That's what Romans chapter four says. Uh, Romans chapter four, verse 11 says that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. What that just said is that faith is what saved Abraham, not his circumcision. Faith came first and was outwardly expressed through circumcision. And then look what he does. Immediately after that, God institutes this whole thing where his whole family line is going to be circumcised. And in verse 23, Abraham goes and he circumcises himself and then everyone with him, quote, on that very day, just as God had said to him. 
So even though in verse 17, he falls down and he laughs and he doesn't understand how all the details are gonna work, we know that he has faith completely in what the Lord has promised him because that very day, he goes and he does the thing that God told him to do. So circumcision is a sign of faith. And second, it's a sign of belonging. It's a sign of belonging. Abraham was told to circumcise every one of the males in his family line, everyone that's gonna be born from that day on. So the circumcision that was done to these Jewish boys was done in a way to say, hey, they belong to the family, okay? They belong to the family. So what does all this mean for us today, right? What does it mean for us today? Well, here's what I would say. We too have been called to put our faith in a big promise of God, and we too have an outward expression, a sign that the Lord has given us. Here's what I mean. So Abraham, he has what you would call the Old Covenant. In fact, your Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Testament is, a word, is another word for covenant. So you got the Old Covenant and you've got the New Covenant. Abraham had the Old, we have the New Covenant. Part of the promise to Abraham, as we've talked about a couple of times, was the fact that God was gonna send a savior through the line of Abraham, right? He was gonna send one that we know to be Jesus. But a question that people have is, how do people in the Old Testament, how are they saved? Well, Abraham and the people in the Old Testament were saved by looking forward to, placing their faith in the promised one, the promised savior that God was going to send. They didn't, they didn't know his name was gonna be Jesus, but they placed their faith in him. That's what Romans chapter four, verse 11 says, that Abraham had faith in the one that was to come. You and I are, are saved by looking back to the promised one that came to fill the, fulfill the promise, Jesus. That's how we're saved. So we are a new covenant people. This new covenant has been established. In fact, the Bible talks about the new covenant. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 15 says that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. What does mediator mean? It means, it means that he is the go-between, or, or you might think of it, he is the glue that seals the new covenant. Jesus comes to earth to make a new and better covenant to save us from our sin problem. See, even in the days of Abraham, God establishes this promise. He, he, he sets up the sign of circumcision, but sin is still a huge stinking deal. And as you follow his story and all those who are gonna come after him, you're gonna see that they're gonna struggle with sin every single turn and every single day right? It's still a problem. And no matter how many laws they follow, no matter how many times they are circumcised or whatever, like they are going to still struggle with sin. And so what God does is he promises to send a new covenant. In Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34, it talks about this new covenant that is going to come. And Hebrews chapter 8 tells us that it's going to replace or eliminate the old covenant. And that new covenant that God talks about in Jeremiah chapter 31 is going to do a couple of really big things. First, it's going to eliminate sin, eliminate the sin problem, right? And second, this new covenant is going to fill the people of God with the Spirit of God, all right? So that's, that's what this new covenant promises. I'm going to wipe out their sin. I'm going to put my spirit inside of them. How does all this happen? Well, it happens through the death of Jesus. 
that Jesus comes in and he is the sacrifice. He is cut off, if you will. He sheds his blood and it is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Our sin demands a payment. The Bible says that it demands blood, it demands death. Jesus died that death for you. He lived a life that you couldn't. He died a death that you should have died yourself, but instead he was the substitute. He stepped in, took your place, died a death that you should have. They put him in a tomb because he was dead, but three days later he came walking out of the tomb alive, defeating sin, defeating death once and for all, eliminating sin through the new covenant. He's the mediator of the new covenant, right? And you and I have this opportunity to place our faith in him, to trust in the promise, trust in the new promise of God that has been fulfilled in Jesus. And when we do that, Paul says in Romans chapter two, verse 29, that what happens is we experience this spiritual circumcision of our heart. That in that moment, when you place your faith in Jesus, the dead sinful part of you is cut off. You're circumcised in that kind of of way. You're made new. And the benefits of trusting in the promise, trusting in the new promise that is fulfilled in Jesus, you become a part of the family. You receive a new purpose. And maybe most importantly, you experience a permanent personal relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for you. And how, how do you get that? Faith alone, belief. Believe that God is who he says he is and that he has done what he said that he would do in Jesus Christ. We look back to the cross as new covenant people and we believe and we place our trust in him knowing that that's the only thing that can save us is trusting in what he has done. And just as Abraham placed his faith in the promises of God, we do the same thing. Just as Abraham had an outward expression of his faith, so do we. The New Testament writers draw a clear line between circumcision and baptism. Did you know that? Baptism, Colossians chapter two, verses 11 and 12, Romans chapter four, both of them make a connection between circumcision and baptism. If you're unclear what baptism is, baptism is a, uh, it's a picture, right? It's a picture of us going under the water into the death of Christ and being raised up out of it to walk in new life. That's what Romans chapter six, verse four explicitly says. It says this, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. When you're baptized, it's a big deal. Like it's not something to just be flipping about. It's not, you know, necessarily something just to be like playing around in a swimming pool. Like it is a, it is a big deal because it is a drama or a picture or an image of what's happened to you on the inside that you have been put to death with Christ and raised to walk in new life with him. That's what you're doing when you're baptized. We're gonna do two of them in the next service. But let me be clear, circumcision doesn't save you, and it would be really silly to think that it could, right? And in the same way, baptism or any other external thing that you do doesn't save you either. You're saved only by putting your faith in Jesus. Only by faith alone, that's how you're saved. It's crucial that you understand that. We're not saved by the things that we do or don't do. See, people back in the day, uh, back in Abraham's day, they started to put a lot of faith in the fact that they were circumcised. 
They, they put a lot of faith in the fact that they followed the laws and different things. You see that in the New Testament when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, right? They, they would have this mentality that I am circumcised on the eighth day, I don't eat bacon, I don't cuss when I drive, I don't do all those things, I'm good. Jesus comes along, he's constantly rebuking those guys, isn't he? He's constantly saying things like, yeah, you, you, you look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside, you're whitewashed tombs. And in the same way, man, people today unfortunately do that same thing, that grandma always took me to church, I've been baptized three times, I know the right things to say and do, so I must be good. But listen to me, none of those things matter at all if you've not had a defining moment in your life where you've placed your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation. Those things don't matter. You're saved by faith alone. And then you take on the outward expression of your faith, which is baptism. I like to describe baptism in the same way that, that you would talk about maybe a wedding ring, right? My wedding ring is not the thing that makes me married to my wife. I'm married to her because one day we stood up in front of friends and family and we made a covenant and a vow to one another. We put on this ring to show everybody else that we're married, right? If I take it off, I'm still married. So this isn't the thing that, that makes me married just as your baptism is not the thing that saves you. But it is a sign of faith. Just as circumcision was a sign of faith, your baptism is a sign of faith. You're declaring to the world that you believe in the promises of God and you're trusting God, trusting Jesus as your savior. We also think that baptism is the first step of obedience after you've been saved. Just as Abraham in, in chapter 17, verse 23, he goes and immediately that day, he's circumcised. We believe right after you are placing your faith in Jesus, you should be baptized. Pretty closely associated with your faith, you should be you should be baptized. But it's, it's something that happens after you place your faith in Jesus. This is why we don't baptize babies here at Second, right? And I know that that's a thing that lots of faith groups do. Millions of people will baptize infants, you know, or Presbyterian friends. They're, they love Jesus, they love the word, but I think they get this wrong here. But their understanding of baptizing babies comes from this same discussion. Colossians chapter two, Romans chapter four. They say there's a clear link between circumcision and baptism. Abraham circumcised the boys on the eighth day, so we should baptize on the eighth day as well. And I would just say you're misunderstanding the point here. The new covenant is very different from the old covenant. It's new, it's better. <laughs> Primarily, there's a huge difference in the way that baptism is now for men and women and circumcision was just for men. Right? Like there, there, there's clear differences here. Every instance of baptism in the New Testament follows faith. And so you could say, as Baptists, we believe that baptism comes after you place your faith in Jesus, after you've been reborn. As Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be, you've got to be reborn. So I guess in a way we do baptize newborns. It's just newborns spiritually, right? And so here's what I would say. If you, maybe you grew up in that kind of faith walk, you were baptized, you were sprinkled as a baby, something like that. I, I think that that tells you that your parents really loved you. They cared about you. But what I would say and encourage you is, according to the New Testament, the New Covenant, I would encourage you that 
you should be baptized. If you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've not been baptized on this side of it, well, you should do that. It's an outward symbol. It's an outward sign of faith. It's not scary. It's a beautiful thing. If you've recently, over the last few weeks, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've trusted him for the first time and you know it, well, let's talk about baptism. Let's do it, right? In your bulletin, you've got a, a, a box there that you can check. Just say, hey, I wanna talk more about baptism. You can tear that off, place it in the black boxes as you leave. We'll, we'll touch base with you this week. But like that is your first step. It's a sign of faith. And second, baptism is a sign of belonging to the family. That's the reason we celebrate baptisms and it's a big stinking deal because we're identifying and saying, hey, that person has placed their faith and trust in Jesus. They've been buried with Christ in death and sin, but they're raised to walk in new life. That used to be me. Now we're all the family of God together and it's a giant celebration as we celebrate that reality together. That's what you're doing when you're baptized. So look, I know that, <laughs> I know that this was not your typical sermon. We've walked through the Bible, we've seen the thread of circumcision and how it points us to baptism. And I hope maybe you've connected some dots this morning, but more importantly than that, I hope that the Lord is working in and through your life right now. And then in whatever ways he's speaking to you, that you would have courage and boldness to respond in this moment. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.